ought to be. And if it's not, it can be and should be. We appreciate you being here. Have your Bible now. Hold your Bible up for me real good. you got this great Word of God, this great sword of the Spirit. And I encourage you to bring your Bible to the house of God. You need it. Follow along. Make sure I'm reading what's there and see what's in it. And if you've been reading your Bible this week, keep holding it up. Well, love you reading your Bible. And encourage you to, to read it. And if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. When you find verse 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, if you're physically able to do so, I would invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's Word. We've been reading this text for a little while and been preaching some messages on the second coming, and we'll do the same thing again this morning. And we're nearing the end of this. I hope we've made some sense with it. And more than just making sense, that's challenged your heart to serve the Lord and to be what God would have you to be. Now we're going to read through the first seven verses, and I'm going to have you read one of those verses with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John, who bare record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that He saw. Blessed is he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, Amen. I want you to read verse 7 with me. It is the text verse, and let's read that verse together. Are you ready? Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. And you notice that first phrase in that verse, Behold, he cometh, and he is coming again. And we've looked at several things, and today we're going to get a, a, another message. Behold, he cometh in the final battle. In the final battle. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come and have this time that we can be together in thy house. Lord, you've been so very good to us, and you have blessed us here, and we have had your spirit in the Sunday school hour, and now, Lord, in our fellowship and in the singing of the songs of Zion, and our hearts have been lifted up to heaven. And now we've come to this portion of the service where the bread of life has been broken, and I have a message that I believe most assuredly that you have given to me from the Word of God. And as I stand here before thy people in thy presence, Lord, I am very well aware of my inability to deliver this message, and oh dear Jesus, my unworthiness to be here. And so once again I would ask you, oh Holy Spirit, please fill me with power that I can preach in such a manner that every person here would feel like this message is for them and them alone. And dear Jesus, please once again cleanse me with the precious blood of Calvary that there would be nothing that would hinder you using me today to be a vessel fit for thy service. And so we commit ourselves to you. I pray that we could leave here, oh, with a great expectation of, Behold, He cometh. For it's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be here this morning. I've worked with these messages and prayed that God would help me with this thing of the second coming. And I've broken this down into different categories. And so let me say something I've said already. I don't want it to sound repetitious, but I think it's important. When we talk about the second coming of Christ and Christ coming again, oftentimes what we envision, really we envision... Second uh, Peter 3.10, we're going to look at that verse this morning. We envision that, uh, that God comes back and it's all over. And, and that's just how we envision it. But the truth of the matter is, the second coming is akin to the first coming. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, that Christ was prophesied that He was going to come, that there was going to be the virgin-born God in the flesh come to this earth all the way from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God cast the, uh, Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, that was prophesied then. And, and, and so from that time forward, there was a looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. 4,000 years later, Christ came, and He was born in Bethlehem's manger. Now, there was a lot of prophecy leading up to that, and a lot of prophecy leading to uh, a lot of other things that's not happened yet, and people wanted to jumble it all together because they're just seeing the mountain peaks. But the first coming of Christ uh, had a time period. He was born in Bethlehem's manger. Then Christ lived upon this earth 33 and a half years. There was a three and a half year ministry. He then goes to Calvary and is crucified. He rises again the third day. Uh, he shows himself alive by his passion for 40 days. Then he ascends back to heaven. So the first coming of Christ was, was uh, uh, almost 34 years long. Y'all grasp what I just said. And so he says the first coming, it was. Uh, but it wasn't just one specific moment and it was over. Uh, there was these different uh, aspects of it and different things that happened during it. Same thing as the second coming. Now Christ is coming again. And what we call the second coming, that he's, he's described to us what's going to happen. And we've looked at some things already. The first thing that happens in the second coming, Christ doesn't touch the earth. He comes in what we call the rapture of the church, and church is called away. And then immediately after that, there's the beam of seed of Christ in heaven, and we've done looked at that, that you and I as Christians, if you're saved this morning, we stand in front of Christ, we give an account, not of our sin, but of our works. And while that begins to take place in heaven, the seven-year tribulation begins to take place on the earth. When, when the beam of seed's over, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've done looked at that. And then there is the battle of Armageddon. And then there was the millennial reign. And immediately after the millennial reign, something happens. And it's interesting. And so you have your Bible, you're in Revelation 1, I want you to go to Revelation 20. Now last week we read in verse 1, but I'm going to pick up again in verse 1. And this is what I term as the final battle. You see, there's always been a battle. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, there's a, a battle. There's a battle between uh, the will of man and the will of God. There is the battle that you and I have to submit ourselves to the will of God. He's given us a free will choice. We have the ability to say no. We have the ability to reject the will of God. We have a free will. And there has been this battle. And there is this battle today. As a matter of fact, it's going on in every one of our hearts this morning. Uh, we, we have this uh, ability to reject what God would have us to do. And, and one of these days, there's going to be the climax of that. 
And there is going to be the final battle of man and the free will against a holy God. And that is depicted for us in Revelation chapter 20. And we want to set the stage and what happens there. So we're in verse number 1. Now the battle of Armageddon has been fought, chapter 19. Uh, the beast and false prophet have been thrown into the lake of fire. They have the dubious uh, position of being the first two ever thrown into the lake of fire, so there they are. Verse number 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him in the bottomless pit, and shut him up, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years uh, should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. Now that's an interesting statement in the verse 3. Uh, and and I, I just sort of touched on it last week, and we're going to dwell on it this week. Uh, at the end of the battle of Armageddon, uh, God sends an unnamed angel, and he gets a hold of Satan, and he binds him, and he opens up hell, and he puts him in hell for a thousand years. But that's not the end of him. Why that, that little, the end of this verse said, he must be loose for a little season. Why? Why does he have to be loose for a little season? Why was he loose ever? Why was that? And so you look in there, and, and so he's got to be loose. Now verse 4, and we just see the millennial. We talked about that last week. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor had received... Uh, his mark upon their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Well, that's the millennial reign. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Uh, on such, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, by the way, that thousand year reign... All the saved are going to be there, and we're going to be on this earth with Christ, ruling and reigning for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth, and come past the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so now we find that Satan's loose for a little season. And he goes up on the earth and he once again creates rebellion against God. And this time it's, it's over rather quickly. He creates this rebellion and he brings all of the earth against God for the second time. They've done lost that battle at the Battle of Armageddon a thousand years prior. And now, this time, there's just fire comes out of God and destroys them all, and Satan is now forever thrown in the lake of fire. But why did that take place? What in the world is going on? And God allows Satan to be loose for a little while. How does it relate to you and I today? Why is it important? You see, during that thousand-year reign, when Christ sets up the millennial reign, and we, we went over this last week and looked at what's going to happen, the earth is regenerated. There are some people going to live through the Battle of Armageddon and the seven-year tribulation period. 
And Christ is then going to rule and reign this earth for a thousand years. It will be back in the state that it was in in creation. And it will be a state of prosperity and peace. And by the way, there will be people living in civilization and there will be folks born. And those people will not have a chance to choose between Christ or not. Because Satan is bound. At the end of that thousand years, he's loose for a little season. Because there's nobody going to be in heaven that's there that didn't choose to be there. There's not going to be anybody in heaven that didn't say, I am a sinner, I cannot save myself, and they trust the blood of Christ. By the way, there's nobody in hell that didn't reject that. Every once in a while somebody tried to uh, say to me, why, why do people go to hell and they start listing sins? I say, no, you're missing it. Uh, sin is just a symptom of the real problem. The real problem is they've rejected Christ. And, and why do people go to heaven? It's not because they're good. I mean, when you and I get saved, we ought to try to live holy and righteous and serve God. We ought to do that. Uh, but, but that's not why we go to heaven. We go to heaven because we've put our faith in the shed blood of Christ. Amen. So what's happening when, Christ, when Satan is loosed? All right, share your Bible. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Easy to find. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Now I'm going to skip some verses here for the sake of time. And we're going to read some things. I'm going to show you something that's important for us to grasp. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 8. We start there. God has created Adam. He has formed him out of the dust of the ground, breathing his nostrils, breath life. He's become a living soul. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the eye and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's interesting two verses there. God now plants a garden, uh, and sometimes we think of a garden as a small place, and if you read the size of this garden in the next few verses, it's really what we would call the Middle East. It's a large piece of real estate. And He plants this garden, and He, and he, and he has everything in this garden, and uh, he puts two trees in the very middle of it that are diverse from all the other trees and, and vegetation and plants. And, and the tree of life, that if you eat of the fruit of the tree of life, you will never die physically. What a tree. What a wonderful tree that would be to cure all of our physical ailments and problems. And God planted that in the middle of the garden. Now right beside that, he also planted one other tree. And it also is diverse. And it was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. He had created Adam with great wisdom, but he did not have a knowledge of evil. And, and so he was in what we would call the state, what we do call the state of innocence. And yet, uh, he, here in is, why did he put that tree there? He put this tree here. He, he put this tree in the middle of the garden. Uh, if that thing had been chopped down or never even created, we, we wouldn't have none of the problems we have today. Amen. But God put it there. Now, why did God put it there? He, he puts it there. And then we, next few verses, we read the size of the Garden of Eden down through 19, 11, 12, 13, 14, verse 15. And so he's in the Garden of Eden, and it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. By the way, he gave him a job. Uh, God always wants us to have a job and have something to do. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is in the midst of the garden... 
thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God says, now, Adam, nothing else in the universe has choice but you. I am giving you a choice. If you want, you can eat of the tree of life and live forever. And you're free to eat of that tree. But if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Now that's your choice. By the way, you and I are given a free will choice. That's called a free will choice. Now God gave it to Adam because God desires that you and I choose Him. Anybody that ever comes to God and loves God, it's not because they had no choice it's because they chose to. And so God in His infinite wisdom put this tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden knowing what would happen. So then God creates marriage in verses 18 through 25. In chapter 3 verse 1 we pick up and it says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they, uh, excuse me, and eyes of them both were, were opened, and they were naked, and they sewed them fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called and Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? They've sinned now, and they've died spiritually. And they have lost that sweet presence of an almighty God. They've lost it. What God said would happen has happened. But God knew it would happen. I mean, Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. God already had a plan in place for redemption. And, 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 there, and, and He explained that to Adam and Eve. when he, he, By the way, at the end of chapter 3, whenever He judges them, and, and verse 15 is the first promise of the coming Messiah, and then He made coats of skins to cover them, and, and blood was shed. I believe it was lambs that He killed, and their blood was shed, and that blood pointed toward Calvary. And, and, and now they... They, they understand that the only way blood that sin can be forgiven is being covered in the blood. So why did God give that choice? Because God wants you and I to freely choose Him. You can't force anyone to be saved. You can't force anyone, by the way, to be lost. They have a choice in this matter. When God doesn't want you and I to serve Him because we're forced to. He wants us to serve Him because we choose to. He wants us to love Him like He loves us, which is a choice. And so we have a choice in this matter. During the millennial reign, they didn't have a choice. They were born, and Jesus is ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. And, and, and all of the saved are ruling and reigning with Him. 
And Satan is in hell for this thousand years. And he must be loosed for a little season. You say, what for? So he can do the same thing to those people that he did to Adam and Eve. Tempt them. You say, why would God want that? Because God desires that we choose Him. You say, does not God know that that, that will cause people to go to hell? Of course He does. Now I want you to open your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3 with me. Now in 2 Peter chapter 3 we're going to see something. We'll start reading in verse 8. In 2 Peter chapter 3 we're going to see something. And I'm going to try to wrap all of this up here. I want you to see something. Why is God doing this? He is doing it so these people will have a choice to choose Him. They have seen the goodness of Christ, some of them for close to a thousand years. Some of them for several hundred years, maybe some of them for just a few years. But they have lived during the millennial period. They have seen peace on earth and great prosperity. There has been no... The law has been enforced and there has been this wonderful utopia on this earth. And yet they had no choice in it. Satan's now loosed and they have a choice. And if you're in 2 Peter chapter 3 by now, I hope you are, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. By the way, that millennial reign, as far as God was concerned, is just a day. It's not that big a deal. Uh, it didn't matter to Him. It matters to us, but it matters to God because God lives outside of time. By the way, let me throw something else in here. Every once in a while I, I deal with people that are lost, that's up in years, and they say, Preacher, I've lived my whole life in a wicked manner, and it's not fair I get saved in my life. Listen, God, do you realize you could live a thousand years, and it doesn't, as far as God's concerned, it's like a day? And, and all that God's concerned with is that you trust Him and get saved. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to God. It matters to us, but it doesn't matter to God. Now watch verse 9. Verse 9 is important. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now I want you to notice something. God does not want anyone to ever go to hell. We've already seen that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared. Matthew 25, 41 says that. That hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if we reject Christ, we will follow Satan into hell. And so God is not willing that any should perish. God wants everybody to be saved. He has given us a free will. This morning, if you're not saved, it's not because that you can't be saved, it's because you won't be saved. And this morning, if someone says, well, I don't believe in God, it's not that they can't believe in God, they won't believe in God. If someone is, as a Christian, if I'm not following God and I'm, I'm backslidden, I'm not where I belong, I, I can make all kinds of excuses for it. I can blame other people, I can blame society, I, I can say I'm as good as these people, and all that's probably true. But the truth of the matter is, it comes to one point of rebellion is that I have said, I'm not following God, I'm going to follow Mike. If I'm not doing what I know I need to do, I've only got, there's only one place to lay the blame, and that's at me. And if you're not following God, it's, it, you can't blame other people, you can only blame yourself. Because God has given you a free will choice. 
And God's not willing that any should perish. God loves the world. Jesus died for the sin of all mankind. He wants everyone to be saved. But it's our choice. Now then, having said that, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the earth also and the works are therein shall be burned up. Now what is that? It's what we read in Revelation chapter 20. There is going to be an immediate time in this final battle that God, His great mercy, His great grace, His great love, His immeasurable grace, immeasurable mercy, immeasurable love, will have reached its end. And he say, I am through with the rebellion of man. And fire comes out of heaven and it destroys it all. And this universe that God spoke into existence, He will simply speak out of existence. Now, by the way, we will continue to exist. And next week we'll see where we're at and what that entails. But for this morning, I want you to understand something. That's what happens. God comes to an end of rebellion and He deals with it. That final battle, it's over. And He's going to just wipe it all out. Start something new. You say, how do you know that? Next verse. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens uh, being on fire shall be dissolved, and, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter said, this doesn't really discourage me. We're just looking for a new one. We're not looking at this, this, this old one. There's a new one going to be created. Now this morning, here's, the, here's, here's sort of the crutch of the whole thing. What am I doing in my life? And you say, preacher, that, that's not going to affect me. I'm saved. Well, hopefully if you're saved, it, it's not going to affect you. But here's the question. How does that affect me? How does knowing this affect me. Understanding this part of Christ is coming again and He is a sovereign God and He is in control of this thing and He is going to deal with the sin of all mankind. I deal with people all the time. Well, if God's a holy God, He wouldn't let this and they've always got these things that they throw up. Why does He let this happen or that happen or why don't He do this or do that? Listen, it's because of our free will. And He allows us a free will. There are consequences for that free will. If you choose to reject Christ, you'll go to hell. There are consequences for that free will. As a child of God, Hebrews chapter 12 is very clear. There is chastisement. There is rebuke. Uh, there is scourging. By the way, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, you commit the sin of death of a Christian. So there's great truth. Free will. So what do I do with that? Back in this text, look at it one more time. Verse 11. 
Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Seeing that I know this, that all of this is going to be destroyed, and seeing that you know it, you say, I didn't know it before now. Well, you know it now. God's going to destroy it all. Then what is really important? It says, I seek Him, and I choose Him in all manner of holiness and godliness. That means that I must examine Mike. It's real easy for us to examine one another, by the way. We, we sort of enjoy doing that. <laughs> Look, I, I, I are a pastor. I understand how Christians think. We, we really do like to, in, to, to judge somebody else because that sort of takes the heat off us. But you know, the reason that God doesn't want me to judge anybody else is because it can't help nothing. The only person I can judge that will help anything is Mike. And the only person that you can judge that will help anything is you. And, and, and I, I need to look at this and say, you know what? This, 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 this stuff's going to pass away. This, this whole universe is going to be destroyed. God is in control of all of this. And I've got to stand in front of God. And I'm just going to choose Him. And number one is salvation. The reason I wasn't here when my son didn't see me is because I was at the tabernacle. I was saved there several years ago, 1977. 46 years ago I was saved there. This, this is their 70th anniversary and they had asked me to come over there and say a couple of things and I did. And I'm back here. But I chose Him in salvation. Specific time, specific place. I realized I was a sinner and I chose Him because I didn't want to go, to, I didn't want to be on the wrong side of this thing. And that's why I chose Him. Now, if you've never chose Christ your Savior, you're going to be on the wrong side of this thing. One of these days, this thing's going to be ended, and you're going to be in trouble. And it doesn't matter what kind of success you've had in this life, it doesn't matter what else you've done in this life. If you have rejected Christ, You've missed the point that He's going to destroy it all because He owns it all. He created it all. And it's all for His glory and honor anyhow, not ours. And you've made a choice that He allowed you to make, but there are horrible consequences for not choosing Christ. The lake of fire for all eternity. And if you're not saved this morning, and if you're not sure of it, Oh, I wouldn't leave this building. When I, the first time that I found out I was on my way to hell, the first time, I did not gamble with it. I thought, what kind of idiot takes a chance on going to hell? First time I heard the gospel, Charlie led me to Christ. And let me beg you this morning, if you're not sure you're saved, the purpose of this is one of these days this is all going to be destroyed and you're going to stand in front of a holy God, and He will deal with you depending on what you did with Christ. If you're not saved, won't you come and let us take a Bible and we'll answer your questions. You're going to say, Preacher, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I can take you to a time and place. I'll tell you where I was saved at. But I'm not where I need to be. 
Maybe there's some known sin in your life and you're just rebelling against God. Maybe there's something there that you're supposed to do that you haven't done. Maybe something you should quit that you don't want to quit. You don't give it up. But you know it. God's revealed it to you through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit dealing with you. You ought to come to an old-fashioned altar and surrender that. Because one of these days you're going to stand in front of a holy God and He's going to deal with you. And the excuse of saying, well, I'm as good as everybody else, will not fly then. Because you're going to stand in front of Him. And so this morning, you say, preacher, what good does this final battle do? Well, it shows me that all rebellion is going to come to an end. Even my rebellion as a disobedient child. And your rebellion as either a lost sinner or a disobedient child. You have a great loving Heavenly Father. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the biggest thing I can learn from all of this is God gave me a free will. God gives man a free will. And Satan must be loosed so that we can exercise that free will to either choose or reject Christ. Oh, this morning, why don't you just choose to receive Him as Savior? Receive Him as being a servant and letting Him be your wonderful God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We've got some going to be baptized. They can be getting ready.